Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work, and you can find out more and give them a call. Uh, visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We've got great guests for today's show, including William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll visit with Michael Cannon, who is the Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Erica Donalds is the founder and CEO of Optima Foundation, and we'll visit with Erica as well as Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. It is July the 23rd, and on this day in 1967, the Detroit riots began and were among the bloodiest in American history. The strife occurred during a period of Detroit's history when the once affluent city was struggling economically and race relations nationwide were at an all-time low. Well, maybe ex- except for now. But the Detroit Police Department's vice squad often raided illegal drinking establishments in the city's poor neighborhoods, and at 3.35 a.m. on Sunday morning, July 23rd, they moved against a club that was hosting a party for returning Vietnam War veterans. The early morning police activity drew a crowd of onlookers, and the situation rapidly deteriorated. Soon, thousands of people had spilled out into the street and from nearby buildings, throwing rocks and bottles at the police, who quickly fled the scene. By dawn, the first flyer broke out, and soon much of the street was ablaze. By mid-morning, every policeman and fireman in Detroit was called to duty. The rioting continued all week, and the U.S. Army and National Guard were called in to quell the worst of the violence. By the time the bloodshed, burning, and looting ended after five days, some 43 people were dead. Many more seriously injured, and nearly 1,400 buildings had been burned or ransacked. That happened in Detroit on this day. In 1967, sad day indeed. Detroit was once a thriving city of over 2 million people. At one point, down to 700,000 people. I don't know how it's doing right now, but uh, certainly bad politics and bad economics hurt Detroit. Well, an internet survey by a nonpartisan physicians association found that most respondents had not been fully vaccinated against COVID-19 or planned to get the shot. So this is kind of in the face of uh, all the... Uh, suggestions that we all get uh, vaccinated. Well, many doctors are not planning to do that. In the June 16 online survey by the American Association of Physicians and Surgeons, that's the AAPS, in Tucson, Arizona, nearly 60% of the over 700 both retired and practicing physicians said they are not fully vaccinated and would decline the shots based on their assessment of risk. This contrasts with the uh, claim by the American Medical Association that 96% of practicing Practicing physicians are fully vaccinated. This was based on 300 respondents, the AAPS stated in a press release. And while neither survey represents a random sample of all U.S. physicians, the AAPS survey shows that doctors' support for mass injection campaign is far from unanimous. It's wrong to call a person who declines a shot an anti-vaxxer, the executive director Janet Orient said. In a statement, virtually no physicians are anti-antibiotics or anti-surgery, whereas all are opposed to treatments that they think are unnecessary, more likely to cause harm than to benefit or an individual patient, or inadequately tested. 
The survey also showed that 58% of practicing physicians who responded who were aware of patients suffering a significant adverse reaction after receiving the vaccine. Orion said that most unvaccinated physicians had made their decision based on their assessment that the risk of taking the shots exceeded the risk of the disease, with many responding that they had already contracted COVID-19. Other reasons for declining the shot included unknown long-term side effects, use of fetal cells, lines for uh, vaccine testing, and the experimental nature of the injections, other early effective treatments, and uh, reports of deaths and blood clots. Orient said of other, another 5,300 non-physicians who were invited to take part in the survey, 2,548 said they knew about associated adverse effects that included death, amputation, paralysis, stillbirth, menstrual abnormalities, blindness, seizures, and heart conditions and issues. According to the July 2nd Vaccine Adverse Effect Reporting System, that's VAERS, you may have heard of it, uh, figures released by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, a total of 411,931 report of adverse events have been reported in the association with the COVID-19 shots, of which 6,985 patients died. These voluntary reports were received between December 14th and June 25th, 2021. Causality is not proven, Orient said. However, many episodes may have resulted in a huge product liability or malpractice award if they had occurred during a new drug. Purveyors of the COVID uh, products are protected against lawsuits. So many doctors are ambivalent at best about uh, COVID-19 vaccine. And uh, so if if you're feeling that way, you're not alone. Governor Ron DeSantis doubled down Thursday on his opposition to mask mandates for public school students during the COVID-19 pandemic, saying he would call for a special legislative session if the federal government moves towards requiring masks in schools. There's been talk about the potentially potentiality of people advocating the federal level imposing compulsory masks on kids, DeSantis said. We're not going to do that in Florida, okay? We need our kids to breathe. We so much appreciate Governor DeSantis. DeSantis made the remarks while in Fort Pierce for a ceremonial bill signing with House Speaker Chris Sprouls, uh, who's uh, from Pearl Harbor, or Palm Harbor. DeSantis said he and Sprouls would Back a special session that the federal government requires masks in schools, adding that Florida districts will keep masks optional for students and parents. They always have the option of having their kids wear masks if they want. As of now, all the school districts are going in that direction, but there's this is going to be, it looks like, a campaign from Washington to try to change that. I've talked to Chris Browse. If we need to bring lawmakers back in to do something from a legislative perspective, he's all in, DeSantis said. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki was asked about DeSantis' opposition to mask mandates during a press briefing on Thursday. She said President Joe Biden's administration would have concern about any step that doesn't abide by public health guidelines. Psaki uh, told reporters that the administration's decision about public health are driven by the Federal Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, who has issued guidelines advising that children younger than 12 should wear masks in schools. The federal government has not mandated that they do so. So, uh, And by the way, CDC has been pretty inconsistent anyhow. Where did they come from? Who created it? I uh, spoke with a, one of my guests on Tuesday. He said, you know, uh, or on Thursday, I guess it was, that the CDC is, <laughs> was uh, created without, without law. Interesting. 
The number of Americans filing for first-time jobless benefits last week unexpectedly rose from pandemic-era lows to the highest level since June, early June. The Labor Department said Thursday that 419,000 folks filed for initial jobless benefits in the week ending July 17th, above last week's upwardly revised 368,000 filings. So uh, that's uh, of concern, isn't it? It is of concern. And uh, again, we need more people getting back to work. Lots, there's, uh, despite the job market's improving backdrop, almost 12.6 million Americans continue to receive, receive some form of unemployment assistance. That total should decline sharply in the next couple of months. While American families are already struggling amid a mounting price inflation that's eating away at their budgets with higher costs for housing, vehicles, and more, yet a top CEO is warning that the growing inflation problem facing Americans could get much worse in the coming months. The latest June data already shows price inflation at about 13-year high, with prices having risen 5.4% year-over-year. Proponents of the big government policies driving much of this increase insist that the uptick in prices is only temporary. But billionaire and grocery chain CEO John Castimatidis uh, just predicted that overall price inflation for the consumer goods generally will hit a 6% annualized rate in October. In an interview with uh, Fox Business, the CEO warned that his industry is seeing skyrocketing costs on the supply side chain and uh, that business the, and that businesses will have to raise prices for consumers as a result. Food prices are only getting higher, and we expect even more increases by October. He said, "You have to pass those extra costs on to consumers, or you're not going to do your duty to guide your country and your employees and your company." And while we can't know for certain, Castor Matita said, "Rising costs could mean an astounding 10 to 14 percent increase in uh, grocery prices by October." That's truly a shocking amount, but this warning offers more than just insight into the grocery industry. It's a painful reminder of how price inflation hurts everyday Americans. <clears throat> we hear the term like price index, price, consumer price index, or expansionary monetary policy. The conversation surrounding inflation quickly becomes inaccessible for many people whose eyes understandably glaze over, but heals the deal. You know, if you have 6% inflation, it's just like having a 6% cut in your paycheck, and nobody wants that. We ought to re take another look at some of these policies coming out of the Biden administration. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know, and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. 
Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best and building a performing arts center in downtown Naples. It's pretty exciting, and you can find out more by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Erica Donald. She's the uh, CEO and founder of Optima Foundation. Right now we have with us William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure. Tell us about the Cato Institute. You bet. Uh, we're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org on the web. So, William, uh, you mentioned Washington, D.C. Uh, were you near the shooting that happened the other day? Oh, uh, thankfully, that was a couple miles away, um, but I, I can report that, uh, alas, you know, we're, we're here in the southwestern part of the city next to the baseball stadium, um, but the trends regarding urban crime hold true here as well. Um, we, we've certainly, unfortunately, heard an uptick of gunfire pretty much every week since the lockdown started. Wow, that's scary stuff. Well, thank good thoughts for you and your neighbors. In the meantime, let's talk a little bit about what's happening on Capitol Hill. And uh, there's a lot going on, but nothing happening, I guess is the way to, is the way to say it. And let's, let's start off with the uh, infrastructure bill. You bet. And uh, just a point of clarification, and I've noted this before, there's actually three infrastructure bills, of which two really only have anything to do with infrastructure. And uh, there's $700 billion worth of traditional infrastructure spending that's basically baked into the system as part of the uh, periodic reauthorization of the highway bill, and that's paid for primarily by our gas taxes. Um, on top of that, there's another $500 billion in new spending on traditional infrastructure. Um, these were the fruits of bipartisan discussions between a, a group of senators in the White House 
um, and that's paid for primarily by indexing the gas tax, so effectively raising the gas tax. Um, and then last but certainly not least, there's a $3.5 trillion uh, Democrat-only package um, that would be paid for by uh, both raising but new taxes, uh, corporate income tax, uh, and also capital gains tax, in addition to borrowing. And this includes everything under the sun. I mean, uh, and none of it having to do with traditional infrastructure. So uh, Medicare expansion, universal pre-K, free community college, green energy production quotas, uh, even immigration reform is in there. Um, and uh, of the three, really only the first one, the $700 billion that is baked into the system, is guaranteed. Uh, the other two at this point don't even have legislative text, and it, it's very fluid what's going on here. Um, uh, in particular, the House of Representatives, Speaker Pelosi, has said she will only consider um, both packages. She would not consider uh, merely the, the $500 billion in new spending in the bipartisan uh, um, package. So that is to say, I've got my fingers crossed, um, and there's a non-unsubstantial chance, or insubstantial chance, that all these talks fall apart, mm -hmm. um, and, and that the uh, you know, 500 uh, or 500 billion to 4 trillion in new spending, we could avert that. Because, uh, again, I've noted this before, and as Senator Ron Johnson has said a number of times, we just spent 5.5 trillion on the COVID, you know, with various stimuli for, for the pandemic. We've already got $700 billion worth of traditional infrastructure in the works coming down the pike. Mm -hmm. Do we really need any more? Uh, from your lips to God's ear, I would be great if all this <laughs> fell apart, quite frankly. And, you know, in fact, uh, I think Mitch McConnell even made the comment, you know, we're not going to vote for increasing the debt ceiling. If if you're going to increase, you better put it in that uh, uh, in that bill that you're planning, about $3.5 trillion bill. So what are we going to do about the debt ceiling? It's, uh, I think McConnell's is a fair point. Um, it, it's coming up. So that, that's actually in eight days, July 31st, we're going to hit that debt ceiling, and, and it's a shade over $27 trillion, um, which, of course, is just an obscene amount of money. Um, one note to our listeners, it, it's not that it, as though on, on July 31st, when the ceiling is hit, that government will shut down automatically. Um, the Treasury Department can shuffle around existing monies and it's uh, projected that that will keep the government going through October or November. Mm. Um, however, the politics of this matter, and they're very much related to, to this quote-unquote infrastructure spending, um, it's heating up, and it's going to be an issue to keep an eye on. certainly is. It usually comes down to the 11th hour. and uh, Indeed. <laughs> and uh, so I guess we're looking for text. The, uh, the bills have to be... Uh, uh, flushed out in terms of um, deciding how they're going to vote. They had a, uh, I guess Schumer had a vote on the bipartisan bill yesterday, was it? And uh, he voted no against it so he could bring it up again. Uh, it's kind of strange, but uh, is that an indication that perhaps this thing doesn't have legs? Oh, well, so what that was, that was a bit of a power play by a majority leader, Schumer. He was, in essence, trying to give the bipartisan group until, uh, it was Wednesday, this past Wednesday, to finish up their legislative text. Uh, the group basically called his bluff. Um, they said, uh, majority leader, well, we're going to have text by this coming Monday. 
um, and then let's have this vote. And Schumer, by voting against the measure, that, that procedural trick that you just mentioned, in essence, acquiesced. So um, those were some procedural shenanigans going on. And uh, the, the long and short of that is that we expect legislative text from that bipartisan group you know, regarding about $500-odd billion in new traditional infrastructure spending. We can expect that this Monday. All right. Well, so uh, Biden's not doing so well in, in uh, federal court. <laughs> He's not. That's an understatement. Um, he actually, this past week, he suffered a, his DACA policy, uh, immigration policy, was... Uh, um, rejected or struck down by a federal district court in Texas. And this is on the heels of a number of such losses. Uh, the, the president's eviction moratorium, um, his oil and gas leasing moratorium, the race-based uh, farm benefits, uh, the uh, deportation moratorium, all these significant you know, policies, these major executive measures have been struck down. You, you, I'll say this. Um, regarding our contemporary media, uh, uh, President Trump suffered similar losses sure. in, his, in the federal courts during his first six months. And there were endless stories about how this indicated how the Trump administration was incompetent and, and how they didn't jump through the proper hoops. Um, and and you know, we're not hearing those sorts of stories despite President Biden uh, uh, compiling up a similarly unenviable record. No, uh, he seems to have Teflon. <laughs> the, the mainstream <laughs> media supports him no matter what. I don't know if you saw that uh, uh, town hall uh, in Cincinnati. <laughs> well, oh. Some of it. Lemon did not distinguish himself. No, he didn't. Well, and, and the president didn't either. There's one point for about 40 seconds he was just bumbling along and it was totally incoherent. It was <laughs> just amazing. So, William, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Again, Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Michael Cannon. Uh, Michael is the Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show and the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. 
with dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit GulfShorePlayhouse.org. That's GulfShorePlayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social, a new refreshing social networking platform. You can download the app from Choice Social at choicesocial.us on the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Erica Donalds, uh, founder and CEO of Optima Foundation. <clears throat> right now we have with us Michael Cannon, Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be back, Bob. Well, COVID is in the news. Uh, cases apparently are spiking. We've got the Delta variant that apparently is creating a lot of mischief. And uh, now the president's talking about wanting to mask up all the kids in uh, in public schools. What are your thoughts? So the Delta variant is more transmissible. That makes it more deadly. It, it means that we are going to have to achieve a higher threshold of immunity in order to get to herd immunity where the uh, transmission drops you know below a rate of you know one person per uh, one transmission per infected person and there are estimates that the herd immunity threshold is going to have to be uh, it would be around 85 percent for the delta variant uh, and so this is this is very disturbing. You've got places like Los Angeles wanting to telling people that they're going to have to mask up again. At the same at the same time, you've got conservative states and governors that are saying that not only are we not going to mask up, we're going to prevent our localities from masking, uh, from requiring you to to wear masks. Uh, and a lot of parents are concerned that uh, schools might bring masks back and so forth. There is really good news, which is that uh, here in the United States, the the vaccines appear to be to continue to be effective against the Delta variant. There are breakthrough there are breakthrough infections among people who have been vaccinated, but the vaccines are do appear to be effective at reducing the harm uh, of the, even the Delta variant if you get infected to the point where if uh, even though there are, break, there are breakthrough infections, your risk of getting, uh, of being hospitalized or dying from COVID-19 is dramatically lower if you, if you first get vaccinated. The numbers I was looking at from the CDC indicate that only 791, so about 800 people out of 159 million who have been fully vaccinated in the United States have died. That means your risk of dying from COVID-19 still drops to below one in 200,000. I think those are 
dramatically better uh, than you have if you're unvaccinated. And uh, I don't know if you heard the story about the young person in Alabama uh, who died from COVID-19, but not before he asked his, his doctor, you know, he was about to be intubated, and he asked the doctor, uh, can I get the vaccine now? And the, the physician had to say, I'm sorry, it's too late for that. Um, uh, so, so there is, the Delta variant is scary, but the news is about the vaccines is still good. So, so, uh, still if, provide if, a lot of protection. If the odds of getting, uh, of, I think you said uh, odds of dying or odds of being hospitalized, I'm sure one in 200,000 if you get vaccinated. What is it if you don't? Uh, it was, it was a lot lower and I haven't, I mean, it's a lot higher. The odds are a lot higher and I haven't seen updated numbers, mm. uh, updated numbers on that, but substantially higher. And, uh, and, you know, the infection fatality rate is, uh, a, a fraction of 1%, uh, but that's still one in uh, a couple of thousand. Mm. And whereas the odds of death are, um, one in 200,000. Yeah. So, so your so, your odds of dying from COVID-19 do drop by an order orders of magnitude. Okay. Well, thank you for that, Michael. I, I guess uh, I, uh, kind of a, a associated question, but a little bit off topic. Who created the CDC? Well, Congress. Congress is the, you know, the only agency to create, or the only arm of the federal government that has the power to create federal agencies. Uh, and, uh, it's their responsibility to do oversight of the CDC. Uh, there has been, uh, well, I don't think there's been nearly enough oversight yeah. at this point. Um, the, the CDC has fallen down in a number of different ways throughout this pandemic. Yeah. And, uh, and quite frankly, I think had this re we talked about this last week, but reduced credibility in my mind. And now the president is simply pointing the finger at the CDC and say, well, if they say kids should wear masks, by goodness, we're going to have to have them wear masks. <laughs> so, you know, uh, they become actually the last stop for, for truth and uh, wisdom, which I, I would really question. Are you, are you there, Michael? I am, you know, uh, and I think we've talked about this before. That one of the one of the reasons why there's so little uh, confidence in in the CDC in many corners of the United States is because there's so little confidence in government generally. Yeah, because the government has decided it's going to make all sorts of uh, decisions for us about our health care, about our children's education, and, and as a result of taking those decisions away from patients, away from parents, there's this baseline level of distrust of government that, uh, that, that makes it harder for the government to educate the public and convince the public to take steps that will protect their health and other people's health uh, when, when a pandemic or, uh, or other public health crisis like this arrives. And so uh, part of the problem is that the, the, the folks at the CDC are uh, very risk averse. Part of the problem there was incompetence. And I'm thinking about 
how the CDC contaminated its own COVID-19 test with the uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus. Mm-hmm. And, but part of it is a growth in the number of decisions the government makes for people and uh, the, the mistrust of government that has come along with that. I'll tell you, there's a lot of things going on. NFL apparently just announced that they're going to, uh, teams are going to have to forfeit uh, games in the NFL if, in fact, all their players are not vaccinated. Things like that. It just seems beyond the pale, quite frankly. Uh, people should be able to make their own individual decisions, in my view. I'm talking about the players here. So, Michael, are you there? Yeah, so you're going in and out a little bit, Bob, so I'm moving around. I, I, I apologize for the, the <laughs> keeping a signal. Okay, so I was just commenting that uh, some uh, businesses are taking pretty draconian measures, like the NFL, saying that all their players have to be vaccinated, and if a team has players that is that are not vaccinated, uh, that they will forfeit uh, games until they all become vaccinated. To me, that seems very draconian. Well, that does sound draconian, uh, the, and, and may not even be optimal. Again, uh, the, the vaccines are incredibly effective at reducing morbidity and mortality from COVID-19. Uh, there might be uh, other side effects that, that might emerge over time, but even with that risk uh, present, it, the vaccines are still... Uh, very effective and can pass uh, uh, my risk-benefit calculus and many other people. And so uh, I don't think it's unreasonable for private organizations to be making those decisions because what they're trying to do is save lives. And and this is a much better way to go about the the containing a deadly uh, and highly contagious uh, disease uh, than uh, having the government mandate those. As if you're if you're a libertarian like me, or if you're a conservative like you, you want these decisions to uh, be made uh, in the private sector so that people can provide feedback on uh, provide feedback on these decisions. Uh, well, first of all, so they can be made more flexibly. Yeah. Uh, uh, without uh, you know, political influence. And then the people can provide feedback on those decisions uh, about the cost that those decisions impose on them uh, so that we can hopefully arrive at, a, at, at, uh, at the amount of, at an optimal level of, uh, of uh, public health activities to contain the virus. Well, that makes sense. Michael Cannon, again, uh, Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Cato.org is the website. Michael, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Anytime, Bob. Thank you. All right, coming up, uh, Erica Donalds. She is the uh, President, CEO, and founder of Optima Foundation. Terrific organization. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcast Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees 
On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. Listen to the Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us Erica Donald. She is the founder, president, and CEO of Optima Foundation. Erica, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Bob. A pleasure indeed. Tell us about Optima Foundation. Well, Bob, we started the Optima Foundation back in 2017 to help groups who wanted to bring a Hillsdale College-affiliated charter school to their communities. Our first school opened in 2019 in Stewart, Florida, which is just north of Palm Beach. That's called Treasure Coast Classical Academy. And our second school, Jacksonville Classical Academy, opened this past fall. We have our third school opening here in Naples this fall, Naples Classical Academy. And Our mission, Bob, is as a business person and my background being in investment management as a CPA, uh, what I saw in my activism for school choice was that a lot of charter schools started by academic leaders um, were faltering because of of, a lack of uh, financial budget compliance expertise. And so I thought that's something that I can bring to the industry to really raise the level of professionalism when it comes to running the business of charter schools. And that way, the academic professionals, the principals, and the teachers can focus only on what they do best, which is meeting the needs of students and families and making sure they get the best education experience possible. Uh, So we have seen tremendous demand and growth for classical education, which is what we specialize in. And in fact, we have uh, seven additional schools in the pipeline for the next few years. And I know we're going to talk about one that's very exciting to try to make classical education available to every single family that wants it, Bob. And we're doing that through school choice, through competition, and through free public education. 
Okay, so if I understand correctly, you're using the template for education, classical education, coming from Hillsdale College, uh, combining that with your expertise in the area of governance so that uh, uh, schools can fall back on some guidance from, from you and from Optiva Foundation to, uh, to run the school successfully as a business. That's right, Bob. You know, charter schools, if you have 1,000 students, you're receiving $8,000 per student from the state. There's a lot of money going in and out of these schools, and compliance with government regulations can be very burdensome. Um, so I have assembled a team of professionals that are doing an incredible job creating systems, best practices, um, and really taking that burden off of the academic staff. You know, not only that, Bob, but Hillsdale College is an excellent academic partner for these schools. They provide the curriculum, they provide teacher training, principal training, ongoing support for our governing boards. Um, and with such a great reputation, you know, Hillsdale College has invested in K-12 education and providing these resources at no cost to these schools. Amazing. So, uh, you know, you've, you're starting a new venture called Domi uh, Virtual Learning Reimagined. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yes, Optima Domi is our next project, Bob. You know, through COVID, we found that we actually can deliver classical education in an online environment in a quality way. A lot of parents were disappointed with the delivery of online education through their school districts, sometimes even their private schools, but our parents were thrilled with our offering. Many of them requested that we continue to offer virtual education um, in the classical method. And we even had parents calling us from other schools whose children did not attend our program who wanted to participate in our online program during COVID. Wow. And so we thought, you know, if we had two years to plan this instead of two weeks, which was what we had before COVID, we could really do an amazing thing uh, with this classical education online. And it would make this available on a much wider scale, not just across Florida, but across the country. Um, so Optima Domi actually utilizes virtual reality for the live delivery of instruction, which pairs excellently with classical education because classical is so dependent on teacher-student interaction that it is not done very well by Zoom, but can be done extremely well with the latest technology in a virtual reality classroom. And that's what we are creating. This school, which will offer grades three to eight in its first year, will launch next year in the fall of 2022 and will be available to any public student in Florida and maybe other states. We're working on other states as well for the launch in the first year. That's so interesting. So help me understand virtual uh, learning. How does it differ from the Zoom experience? In other words, uh, is there, what's, how does the interaction with the, with the teacher actually work? Virtual reality is, is not brand new. Many people maybe experience it in an arcade, and the technology was very expensive and very clunky for a long time. But just within the past couple of years, the technology, which involves a headset, um, you may have seen them. They look like ski goggles yeah. that go over the students or the, the, whoever's experiencing it, their face. And it actually immerses them in a 360-degree view of whatever created experience um, that you put forth. So in our case, we're creating classroom environments. So students and teachers, when they have these goggles on, will feel like they're in a classroom experiencing um, their lecture, interacting with one another. So it's a social platform. But what's amazing about this technology, not only can they interact better 
in the virtual reality classroom, but they can also um, go to different places such as ancient Rome, outer space, the constitutional convention. Mm -hmm. And we can create these virtual reality experiences um, that students could not have in any other way. That's so interesting. So is there a cost? Or is, is this part of the public education system in Florida or uh, is it separate? This is actually going to be a public school option in Florida, Bob. So hmm. it will be free to students that elect to use it. Just like right now, many people are familiar with Florida Virtual School, which offers full-time or course-level instruction to anyone who selects it for free. And that's going to be the same delivery model that we use. It will be free public education to anyone in Florida. That is uh, so interesting. So uh, parents who might say, you know, I'm not satisfied with the educational experience that my kids are uh, getting right now, they can look into, how, how can people find out more? Well, they can go onto optimaed.org slash Domi and sign up to receive more information as that comes out and becomes available. Um, that's the first step. And Next year, Bob, when this launches, I believe we are going to see an incredible demand for this because families, first of all, we already have over 100,000 families and students in Florida who are uh, experiencing virtual school full-time. So there's already a huge market for full-time virtual school, some of our students. Um, but not only that, you know, we have an increase in families who are working from home, more flexible hours many who experienced distance learning in the pandemic and thought, you know, this could actually work for my family. And they enjoy being more a part of their children's educational experience, certainly having more control over what their children are learning uh, because there were a lot of concerns there. And so I think we are reimagining delivery of education and decoupling it with child care. So we've seen micro schools pop up um, and pods, learning pods where parents might hire a teacher or a nanny or uh, someone to just watch the students while they're getting their instruction online. So I think what we're going to see is just a reimagining of education where parents are going to start really customizing the experience for their children. And this is on the cutting edge of what education is going to look like, putting more control in the hands of parents. That just sounds so exciting, Erica. Just amazing. So again, OptimaEd.org is the website, OptimaEd, and you can just check Domi, slash Domi would be the place to go. Erica, just really appreciate your commentary and really appreciate what you're contributing to the community. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate you helping get the word out about this exciting new adventure. Uh, you bet. Thank you, uh, Erica. And by the way, full disclosure, I sit on the board of Optima foundation and proud to do so i just think uh, we're doing great things to help uh kids education in florida all right coming up we're going to be visiting with dave bigo the author of the devil at our doorstep that and more right here in the bob harden show on the bob harden broadcasting network stay tuned for more of the bob harden show here on the bob harden broadcasting network The 
dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity, maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. Among other things, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. Terrific website. Check out vfga.org. We have this Dave Beagle, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, and for our listeners' benefit, uh, the book is about dealing with the travails of union bosses over the course of two and a half years. While they were trying to get him to sign a neutrality agreement, they were talking about Dave, he refused to do so, and so which would allow them to go sign up people one by one at their homes or place or any place and uh, strong-arm them into signing up for the union. Dave says, if, if you're going to unionize our shop, you're going to have to do, do it with super secret uh, ballot. Uh, they refused that, and uh, the games began. And by the games, I mean dirty tricks. You just can't make this stuff up. It's unbelievable. And the name of the book is The Devil at Our Doorstep. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks. It's uh, good to be on, Bob. Thank you so much. So, uh, you know, it's just hard to believe that the uh, school unions are uh, – promoting critical race theory in schools, 1619 Project, and this type of, again, Marxist theory is what it comes down to. It's just very disappointing. Uh, you have any other good scoop in terms of what's happening in the unions? Um, yeah, the, the unions are really pushing hard, and so is Biden pushing hard for them. And um, uh, he's in the process. Um, his nominations for the National Labor Relations Board is uh, real close to... Um, the uh, National Labor Relations Board being taken over by Democrats who will um, pass and, and, and decide on uh, things that come up all in the union's favors, what's going to give the unions more power in this country. And, um, and then the other thing about the unions is um, the PRO Act, which is getting closer to being passed, and the PRO Act is basically going to go back to what um, 
the unions want the SEIU want to do against us by eliminating the secret ballot election and going to card check. And um, this is getting closer, and uh, so they can force unionize people all across the country. Very disappointing indeed. I mean, when I take a look and see what, uh, you know, I'm sure unions can provide some good benefits, but unfortunately many of them have bypassed uh, their concern for their constituents and for their union members, and they're more focused on political contributions and uh, garnering <laughs> their own benefits as opposed to what's helping the uh, union members themselves. Well, that's exactly right. It's uh, it's all about uh, money for their own pocketbook, pocketbook and for their own political agenda, which is uh, to control the Democratic Party and take over this country and turn us into a socialist, communist country without God in it. Uh, so true, so true, and uh, so disappointing as well. So uh, I know you've got something else that you'd like to share with us. Yeah, I got an article and um, um, the t- <laughs> on the top of it says, sad, give it some thought. Um and uh, the author's unknown, and uh, it says, but he or she certainly lays it out very well. We all know what's going on, so what do we do? And it goes on, it appears everything in Washington is crooked and on the take. Not just Congress, but the FBI, the CIA, the Justice Department, the Pentagon, the generals, literally everyone in Washington, including those in the past administration. Add to all this Silicon Valley and the social media, cable news, a biased media, and foreign intervention, these groups amalgamated to become the deep state. And it goes on in the next paragraph. says, President Trump didn't have a chance. He walked into this mess four years ago and he tried to clean the swamp. But the swamp monster ate him alive piece by piece starting on day one. Unfortunately, his disputing the election had a small role for the events of the Capitol. All the good he did over the past four years wiped away. He's a marked man for the rest of his life. So where does he go now? Where can he live? What is the impact on his family? As one top general said, he's a man without a country. The changes that are coming will not have time to affect senior citizens will impact their children and grandchildren. Yeah. The coronavirus impact on our country is mild compared to what lies ahead with the deep state. Those are sad words, but I think they're absolutely, we got to get this thing reversed somehow, some way. Uh, there's a lot going on, including the audits. I don't know that uh, if the mainstream media is covering that at all, but uh, these audits are beginning to close in on uh, what really happened on November the 3rd, which is a good thing, because uh, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, you should be able to trust that your vote is going to count and there's not uh, uh, tricks and uh, dirty tricks being played with uh, with voting. So uh, every, in my view, every state should have an audit, and uh, we should get this done before the 2022 elections. Well, and that's right, and this thing goes on down lower, I've passed several little paragraphs, but it says, uh, you have witnessed a coup, the overthrow of the U.S. free election system, the end of our constitutional republic, and the decline of capitalism to a slide towards socialism. What will happen next? Expect expect the borders to open up, increase immigration, expect agencies like CBP and INS and Homeland Security to be muzzled or, or even deleted. Law enforcement will see continued defunding. The Electoral College will be gone. History erased. Two Supreme Court judges might be removed. The Supreme Court will be packed. Your Second Amendment will be attacked. And um, it just keeps going on. And uh, I think the American people need to understand all this stuff um, and uh, wake up and stand up and uh, fight back against this uh, 
administration and the left who's controlling them. Uh, are you? Uh, it seems to me that people are waking up. I'm, I'm beginning to see people and, and understand that people are getting more involved in their school boards, trying to become more vocal. They're trying to get back in the game, so to speak, with regard to what's happening in their country. Are you seeing the same thing? Yeah, I'm seeing people stand up and uh, on both sides of the aisle. And, um, you know, I see, uh, talk to some black people that uh, feel like that um, the Democrat uh, Party and the left has used them uh, for their own agenda instead of really helping them to, to do better and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, I think more of them are moving to be conservatives. I agree with that. And, uh, well, we certainly know that's true down on the Texas border. A lot of people, Hispanics, that uh, do not like what they're seeing with regard to open borders. They came in here. Many of them, I imagine most of them came in legally and would like to uh, uh, you, uh, avoid seeing this illegal immigration coming in, ruining their property and uh, all kinds of bad things going on. So uh, I think... Uh, I think people in Ohio and the Rust Belt all over, I think people are basically saying, uh, you know, we do want to make America great again, and what's going on is not working for us. Yeah, I, I think people are waking up to it, and um, again, they need to stand up and push back, and um, it's um, it's been interesting in talking to people, and uh, I'm glad to see it. Even, even millennials who have been brainwashed over their time through school and stuff by the unions, um, I think they're starting to wake up and, and understand what's really going on. Yeah. You know, I have a friend who uh, has grandchildren who said, that, Grandpa, you know, uh, you are a racist. You, you may not be aware of it and you don't know it, but uh, you are because of critical race theory. Can you believe that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not surprised because that's uh, what they're trying to do, you know, especially kids that are, and they've been trying to do it, for, they've been doing it for the last 20, 30 years or so, and uh but they're digging in even deeper now. That's so true. Dave Beagle, again, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. I strongly encourage you to get a copy of the book. Uh, you can go to thedevilatourdoorstep.com, thedevilatourdoorstep.com. Get a copy of the book on, on my website at a nice discount. Uh, of course, at any major book purveyor, you can get a copy of the book as well. You can't make this stuff up. It's just it reads... It, 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 I can't, it reads like a murder mystery. It's just amazing. So, again, uh, Dave, really appreciate your contributions here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks, and have a great weekend. You as well. Thank you, Dave. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. On uh, Monday, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Uh, Larry Reed is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We'll also visit with Kristen Corey. She is the founder, producing artistic director, CEO of Gulf Shore Playhouse, building a new, uh, a brand new performing arts center, 44,000 square feet in downtown Naples. Own the property, all set to start breaking ground this fall. And uh, it's pretty exciting, plus some exciting new productions that are coming up as well. So we'll find out about those. I always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. Bob Harden at Hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.